The first reading comes from Kings, chapter 19. There he came to a cave and lodged in it, and behold, the word of the Lord came to him, and he said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He said, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the Lord God of hosts, for the people of Israel has forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. And he said, Go out and stand on the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And behold, there came a voice to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? He said, I've been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left. And they seek my life to take it away. And the Lord said to him, Go return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus, and when you arrive, you shall anoint Haziel to be king over Syria. And Jehu, the son of Nimshi, you shall anoint to be king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shephat, and Abel Menahola, you shall anoint to be prophet in your place. And the one who escapes from the swords of Haziel shall Jehu put to death. And the one who escapes from the sword of Jehu shall Elisha put to death. And yet I will leave seven thousand in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. The word of the Lord. Psalm today, Psalm 27. Please read it responsively by half verse. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. One thing I have asked of the Lord that I will seek after. For he will hide me in, the sh- in shelter in the day of trouble. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud. You have said, Seek my face. Hide not your face from me. For my father and my mother have forsaken me. Teach me your way, O Lord. Give me not up to the will of my adversaries. I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord. Wait for the Lord. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit.
The New Testament reading is from the second letter of Peter, chapter 1, beginning at the 13th verse. I think it right, as long as I am in this body, to stir you up by way of reminder, since I know that putting off since the, I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. And I will make every effort so that after my departure you may be able at any time to recall these things. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to you, which we do well to pay attention as a lamp shining in a dark place, until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Ghost. The Word of the Lord. Would you stand as you are able, as we prepare our hearts for the hearing of the Gospel. Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to St. Mark. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his clothes became radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach them. And there appeared to them Elijah, with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. And Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. For he did not know what to say, for they were terrified. And a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud, This is my beloved son. Listen to him. And suddenly, looking around, they no longer saw anyone with with them but Jesus only. And as they were coming down the mountain, he charged them to tell no one what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. The Gospel of the Lord. Would you join me in prayer? O Almighty God, we praise you for delivering us from death and restoring our souls that were afflicted by sin. Your beloved Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, knew that he would suffer and die, but was willing to walk the way of the cross in obedience to you and out of love for us. 
Help us also to take up our cross and walk in the same way. By your Holy Spirit, strengthen and sustain us through the trials of this life as we await that glorious day. We will be fully united to you in the kingdom that is to come. Amen. Please be seated. So last week I was all excited about that uh, shipwreck story I had uh, re- listened to and uh, made reference to, The Wager. Well, uh, same author, different audiobook this week. I did The Lost City of Z, uh, the, finding the civilizations in the Amazon rainforest that had long been lost, and then the explorers that go, and then they go missing, and then more explorers go, find, go try to find those explorers, and they go missing. Anyway, it was a fascinating tale. Uh, I'll probably have another reference to another one of this author's works next week. I get the rate I'm on. Uh, and I'm so, so in the audiobook world that, you know, I keep having to, every time I want to change topic, I want to say chapter three. And then, <laughs> so I'm going to do that in the sermon today. What was striking to me as I was uh, listening to that book was about the number of uh, really fatally risky challenges that these explorers would face as they traversed the Amazon uh, back in the late 18s and early 19s. And a lot of that would still be true today. Some of them we have answers for, but... Uh, They were looking for that golden city, El Dorado, but they would face mosquitoes carrying all kinds of diseases like malaria, anacondas, uh, you know, 40 feet long, poison frogs, piranha, jaguars, boars, hostile indigenous tribes who would tip their arrows with uh, frog poison. The arrows themselves would be five feet long. Uh, It it was a perfect way to to die in an all manner of of speaking. They They started referring to this area as the green hell. Uh, because it was so lush, and yet they, starvation was just around the corner all the time, as well as any number of things that could kill you very quickly. And so what's striking about it to me is, why did they leave civilization and safety for what was probably nearly certain death? So many had died before them, there wasn't a surprise. And the answer seemed to be, for the sake of proving their own worth and finding fame and glory. That was the reason they, they went to the Amazon. And what uh, strikes me today as we look at our passage of the Transfiguration is that Jesus was not seeking his own fame, but he was seeking glory. He already had it himself. He wanted to share his glory with us. And because of his willingness to lay down his life, it wasn't just most likely that he would die. It was certain that he would die. And he knew that fully. And still he persisted on and on uh, towards the cross for our sake. Uh, That is what Jesus has done. And why does that have anything to do with the transfiguration is what we're going to talk about today. What's going on on this mountaintop? Uh, And I want to start with first how the disciples react to it. And then I want to lean into uh, what is going on within Jesus. What is this all about for him? Well, first, uh, we'll start with chapter one, peeling back the curtain. So uh, they go up on this mountain. Uh, and we're in this epiphany season, right? We're, we're in this epiphany, the light of Christ shining to the nations. And you, know, you think that's almost John chapter 1's metaphor for the message going from person to person. But now it becomes exceptionally literal. Jesus is glowing. He is a source of light himself now on this mountaintop. It's so much so that they, they talk about his clothing in such a way. In verse 3, his clothes became radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach them. Another term uh, in the translations is dazzling. Uh, glowing, I think, is, is kind of what it's trying to get at. There's light coming off of Jesus, of, of, his, of his whole being. He's become uh, this sh- uh, shining man. Now, we have a similar reference in the Old Testament 
with Moses going up on Mount Sinai to speak to the Lord, he comes down from there and his face is glowing so brightly they ask him to cover it. So this is in some way a call back to that, but this is not just Jesus's face, it's his whole person glowing, intensely white. This is something incredibly divine and miraculous going on here that has not happened to anyone else before or since. This is truly a unique experience. And so Peter uh, wants to stay, uh, and, and it says that he doesn't know what to say, but that doesn't stop him from speaking. Do you know anyone like that? Uh, not sure what to say. But I would say, I would argue that his impulse is not a bad impulse. What's going on? Moses and Elijah have appeared and they're talking to Jesus. Now, we would love to have, what did they say? That's not provided for us. It's a question we can ask on the other side. Uh, but they are talking to each other just like you and I would talk. People who, Moses, who's been dead for a long time, and Elijah, who was taken up into heaven at the end of his uh, life as a prophet. We just heard in our Old Testament reading today, Elijah's experience of meeting with God on the mountaintop. Uh, so Moses met with God on the mountaintop. Elijah met with God on the mountaintop. Jesus takes Peter and James and John up this mountaintop, and they meet with God. So God is present so much so that he can speak and they can hear his voice. And Moses and Elijah are there and they're talking to Jesus. What this is, is a little taste of heaven, right? Where the people that have been long lost to death are alive again in such a way as you can relate to them just like you're used to. And God is there over all of it. And Jesus is the shining light at the center. In fact, uh, some passages of Revelation make it seem like in the new heavenly city, there's no need for the sun because Jesus is there and he is the light source for the whole city. Uh, all of this is a, a little glimpse of what will be true forever. They're getting a little taste of it here. Now, why did uh, Jesus call Peter and James and John up there with him? Uh, especially because he says, don't talk about this. Don't, don't tell anybody about this until after uh, the resurrection. Uh, I think, for, in some manner of speaking, uh, when you're going through hard things, you want some friends around. Uh, and so he brings his close inner circle of friends up on this mountain uh, with him. It reminds me of the Garden of Gethsemane. He just wants them there. Well, you stay awake with me one hour, uh, and yet they, they fall asleep. So he brings his friends up there, uh, and he says, don't talk about this. But one kind of interesting side theory that you can't quote me on, because I'm not sure about it, is you know how Jesus all, often goes off by himself to pray. I wonder if this sort of thing was happening every time he did that where he would hear God's voice audibly and other uh, saints from the days past would encourage him. I, I just wonder what that would have been like. Was this a unique experience uh, uh, because now the disciples could see it, or was it this was a one-time uh, all the time? I don't know. I don't know. But when Jesus goes off by himself to pray, we do know that that's when he is strengthened by the Holy Spirit for the ministry that's ahead. I would argue that part of what's going on here in the Transfiguration is Jesus is being filled up for the next steps that he's about to take. Chapter 2, A Taste of the Finish Line. If this is what heaven is like, it shows us that the work that Jesus is about means two things, that time, uh, which binds us up so, so tightly, and death, which is uh, always around the corner, uh, our short mortal lives, that's a, a tremendous problem for us, in the transfiguration, Jesus is proving he can triumph over both. Moses died, and yet here he is al alive and speaking. And that was so many years ago as to been, you know, not even, you wouldn't even think, of, often we think about going to heaven and being reunited with people that we've known in this life. 
But think about all the people that you've never known because they, they came and, and died hundreds of years before you. It doesn't matter to God. He can restore all things. And he can make this community of transcendent, uh, uh, transcends time and death. Uh, that is a, a major statement of the transfiguration, along with how that's possible, which is Jesus' divinity, his shining light. These are uh, live interactions that we could share with them. That's what we're headed for. And that's why it makes sense that Peter would say, let's stay here. Let's set up camp and stay. Some have said maybe he was trying to call on the Feast of Booths or uh, some other Jewish festival. Uh, but I don't know. I, I think the real sense of what he's saying is, can we just leave the rest of the world behind and make this little moment for, last forever? Uh, again, a good impulse, but that's not what Jesus does. They don't even answer his question. Uh, they don't even pay it any mind. In fact, one way of uh, interpreting God's response, this is my beloved son, listen to him, is to say, you be quiet, Peter. You don't, you don't know what you're talking about. And what's the difference between staying there and going down? Well, we're, we're going to come to it, but there is a major facet of why I think this transfiguration moment happens at this point in the, the salvation plan that is unfolding with Jesus. That salvation plan, in fact that Moses was a big part of way back, leading the people of Israel out of bondage in Egypt to deliver them to the promised land that he almost made it to, but was not allowed to enter. And then Elijah, who in our passage today says, all these people are seeking to kill me. I'm the last prophet you've got left, God. And, and so these two men have known what it's like to suffer in the leadership roles of God's people. And I think that's on purpose, that they're now there with Jesus. For what? For what? Because Jesus is about to go and suffer. Chapter 3, preparing for suffering. It's, in a manner of speaking, a way to get Jesus to keep his eyes on the prize. Uh, they are talking with him. What would Moses and Elijah be saying to Jesus from their own experience and knowing what he's about to face? I think that this is an encouragement uh, rally talk for Jesus' sake. Uh, that in his uh, weak uh, humanity that he'll be made strong through the divinity. A completion of the plan that these men had been involved with in earlier phases, they know what they're talking about, and they're there to strengthen and encourage him to suffer. Now, why do I say that? Well, when, I, when you look at what happened in Mark right before this and right after this, there's a one theme. Jesus keeps telling the disciples, I'm going to go die, and after three days I will rise again. And I'll read to you some of those too. But also in the end of our passage, this I had to wrestle through this week to just make sure I understood what it was saying. And this is after the transfiguration. Verse 10 in our passage says, They kept the matter to themselves, questioning what this rising from the dead might mean. Well, it turns out it means rising from the dead. Uh, and they asked him, Why do the scribes say that the first Elijah must come? But first Elijah must come. And Jesus' answer is this, Elijah does come first to restore all things. So they've just seen him, Elijah, on the mountaintop. And Jesus says, And how is it written that the Son of Man should suffer many things and be treated with contempt? But I tell you that Elijah has come, and they did to him whatever they pleased, as it is written of him. What are these verses about? Well, we do know from other places in the gospel that Jesus will just draw the straight line of Elijah's return to John the Baptist. And what he's saying here is, they treated John however they wanted to treat John. Uh, he was the Elijah that was to come. He fulfilled that role, and they killed him. 
and he, he's basically implying that it was wrong, and he suffered, but, they, but we knew that was going to happen. And then he's saying, also, we know that that is true of the Son of Man. So in Isaiah and Daniel, the phrase Son of Man is used for, for the, the Messiah, the Deliverer. And it does say in those books that he will suffer. And Jesus is saying, John suffered, and now I must suffer. Elijah that was returned, and the Son of Man, we must suffer. So the disciples are trying to work out all that's going on, but what Jesus seems to be solely fixed on is the path of suffering that he's walking. I'll read to you what he uh, said in chapter 8, before our chapter today. Verse 31, he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three, three days rise again. And I love Mark's note here in the next verse. And he said this plainly. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. And you know that passage. But then down in 34 it says, And calling the crowd to him with the disciples, he said, If anyone would come after me, let him deny his cross and take up his cro- his cro- deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. So not only does he say exactly what's going to happen to him, and he also says, and you will walk the same way too. And then in our same chapter in Mark 9, uh, just a few verses down from where we are, verse 30 says, he went on from there and passed through Galilee, and he did not want anyone to know, for he was teaching his disciples, saying to them, the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And when he is killed, after three days, he will rise. But they did not understand the saying, and they were afraid to ask him. It's almost comical to me. He's saying exactly what's going to happen. They keep saying, I wonder what he means by that. What does he mean by he's going to die, and then three days later, he's going to rise? He means that's what's going to happen. It's not, it's not hard, and yet they still are so confused by it. Uh, here, I believe that he is so set on that this is where he's headed. It's what he's talking about in the chapter before. It's what he's talking about later in the same chapter. He wants them to understand what's going to happen. And he knows how difficult it's going to be for him. That's why he goes up on the mountain to meet with God before he descends to Jerusalem to be crucified. And uh, it means that we have the same path. Chapter 4, no shortcuts. Peter, wanting to establish those, that camp and stay up there, in a manner of speaking, wanted to jump to the end, to skip the suffering part. I, I believe that's a very human thing to want. And in, in lots of ways, we try to do that. And sometimes when we feel like the shortcut's not working out and we're suffering anyway, we get resentful. Well, one thing that a Christian should lean into is if we know what Jesus means when he says, I'm going to suffer and die and rise in three days, that that's what he means, then when he says, I want you to take up your cross and follow after me, then that's what he means. And so we should not be resentful about suffering or hardship or the trials of life. We know that that's the way to get to where we want to get, the where, where Peter wanted to be, into that eternal and, and bright relationship with God where death and time are not things anymore. That's what we want. Well, we have to go there. And to go there, you have to go through the valley of the shadow of death. You have to take up your cross and follow after Jesus. Following Jesus might, in fact, mean more suffering, not less. And the more obedient to Jesus that you are, you might find the harder your life gets. In fact, so many who have taken up the cross have done that. Peter himself 
who was witness to the transfiguration. In our epistle reading, he said, Jesus told me I don't have much longer, so while I'm with you, I want to hold up the gospel. Uh, and Peter himself, as tradition holds anyway, was literally also crucified. Uh, he, he walked the way of the cross, and he is now in the glory that he saw Moses and Elijah sharing with God. See, the more we get on target with where we want to be with the kingdom ministry that we are called to, the more the enemy seeks our undoing, the more hurdles he'll throw in our way. Uh, we, we should expect that. We've talked about the, the deliverance that we all need in previous weeks. Uh, these are real things, these spiritual battles. Jesus went to war for us and defeated Satan forever on the cross out of love. But it was a very challenging thing to do, and he needed this meeting to get him in place to do it. One last thing about uh, the shortcut is that I, I think the word tense is important there that Peter uses. Uh, and there are other places where Scripture refers to tense, and I believe that matters. If, if we were to shortcut and just set up tents and stay on top of Mount Hermon or wherever they are meeting, uh, we would be missing out on something greater. You see, uh, Jesus says in John 14, he says, let, your hearts, uh, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. And if it were not so, so would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself, that where I am you may also be, and that you know the way to where I'm going. It's almost like we could pretend to be the disciples and say, what does he mean by that? <laughs> he means he's making a place for you, and he's going to come back, and he's going to bring you with him, because he wants to be where you are, and you want to be where he is. That's what it means. And in the translation here, it doesn't say tents, it says rooms, or in fact, others say mansions. In my father's house are many mansions. That's better than the tents. Uh, and there's so, there's so much more room there for so many more people. Uh, the suffering and path that we are on is far greater than anything that Peter was going to st uh, share staying right there on that mountain. In fact, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul will write about tents also. He says, For we know that the tent that is our earthly home will be destroyed, and we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. If indeed by putting on... We may not be found naked, for while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed, so what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. Uh, these words are often read at funerals, and with good reason. The hope of eternity, it all leads us through the path of suffering in the footsteps of Jesus carrying our cross. We should expect that, but what is on the other side is worth any suffering that we may face in this life. Jesus didn't scorn it. He didn't try to avoid it. He didn't take any shortcuts. And he's asking us to follow after him. Let us be faithful and obedient in times of great suffering for the glory that is to come. Amen.